have spent the fall looking at grace. Grace, right? I love this definition by K. Arthur. It says, grace is more than unmerited favor. It is reality. By grace you live. By grace you please God. And by grace you are freed from religion. And released into a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Grace is always based on who He is and what He has done. Grace is never based on who you are, apart from Him or on what you can do. So we're looking at grace. What is grace? Many of us, again, uh, understand grace. It's more than a something you say before you eat a meal. More than a girl's name. You know? What is grace? And, and we've seen that grace, if you're sitting here and, and you're professing to be a believer, grace applies to you like right now in your next breath. It's all about grace. If you're still trying to figure out where you are with the Lord, right now, your next breath is still dependent on grace. We've got to understand it. That's why we spend so many times. Grace is one of those things, especially it's one of those tendency words that if you grew up in the church, you think you know it, and you kind of dismiss it. And if we don't really understand grace, we tend to kind of want to live our life as believers uh, kind of with best intention. Yeah, you know, I'm saved by grace, through faith, got it, unmerited favor, it's a gift of God. Thank you, I received the gift, it's Christmas, I get the gift of salvation. Thank you, but now, I guess it's up to me, and I gotta do my best, in my best effort, with the best intentions, just be a really good moral person. Right? Right? That, that, that's, that's, that's the trap, and that's actually the falsehood that a lot of believers get caught up into. I received, I received salvation by grace, I celebrate it, now it's up to me, I gotta be a good moral person, best of intentions, until I hit the pearly gates. And we wonder why our Christianity is up and down, and we don't have joy, and we don't have this abundant life that Jesus says. A lot of us just never understood grace, never received it, thought we had it. You know, BBS sang about it, probably made a craft at some point, they said grace on it. But we never apply it as adults. We kind of chalk it up to, yep, got that, and then we move on to adult stuff. No, no, you're going to need grace, I'm going to need grace be your last breath on this planet. That's why it's so important. That's why we're spending so much time. And, and we started by looking at the Apostle Paul, right? And if you know the story of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Right before Paul became Paul, he was Saul. Remember that? What did Saul do? He, he imprisoned believers. He was set on destroying our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he was really good at it. He did it really well. He put your brothers and my sisters, our sisters and brothers in Christ in jail. He's responsible for tons of murders, imprisoned, destroyed families. He was set on destroying this. He would show up here. He would show up in one of these things. <laughs> Cart us all off to jail. That's what he did. Right? Because he thought he was serving God. So he says that. I persecuted the church of God. That's what that means. He was a murderer. He destroyed families. Believers. Believers. Christians. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. So he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He meets Jesus. You know the story in Acts. He meets Jesus supernaturally. Saul, the persecutor, suddenly becomes Paul, the preacher. And we talked about this a few months back. I wonder how his first Sunday at church went. 
We never think about that. He means Jesus. He didn't, Jesus didn't say, now no, go to another continent. He said, no, you stay right where you are. And so Paul had to show up to church amongst family members and people that weren't probably thrilled that he walked through the front doors that first Sunday. Right? And what was Paul, what, what, what is the only thing Paul could say at that moment? By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. And we look at that because Paul turned who he was, the persecutor, by the grace of God into the preacher. He used his past as a testimony to who he was. Amen? But the grace of God in transforming him from persecutor to preacher, the grace of God that he was completely dependent on, had nothing to bank on except the grace of God. He didn't hide his past. He didn't glory in his past. He used his past to say, look how good God. It's only by His grace, right? And we, we read about that, and we celebrate it. But sometimes I think, we go, oh, that's a good story. Is that real? Does that still happen today? Is God still transforming people by His grace? Right? And, and this morning we have an incredible opportunity to, to really hear and see that God is alive and well. <clears throat> And God is still transforming by people by His grace, supernaturally. Supernaturally. Sometimes we tend to sort of compare ourselves. Well, I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm just. And then fill in your name. And here's a crazy thing, to, to kind of put it all in context. As much as we celebrate the supernatural testimony of the Apostle Paul, if you're a believer here and have received God's grace, it's just as supernatural. You, please don't um, minimize or discredit you because you're not on the pages of the Bible. Your testimony, your conversion is just as spectacular and supernatural as what happened on the road to Damascus. Amen? Amen. I mean, come on, how many of you here, sitting here, but for the grace of God, would not be here? How many of you here, sitting in church, was the last thing you ever thought of doing on a Sunday? Unless you were forced by your parents. But you were waiting. Once I hit college, I'm watching football. You know? Right? I mean, all that growing up. We, we grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition. So Sundays, Sundays, unless the Chargers make the playoffs, then it was Saturday night mass. But we did not miss a mass on a weekend, right? And we, we were, how many of you want to date yourself? VHS. Get the recorder. We've got to get this game on VHS. Because you can't miss, right? And you're like, you just kind of like, uh. and then God touches you and you're like, I want to be here. Isn't that kind of crazy? Like, sometimes see, we're surrounded by it so much that, that we forget that there's a very large percentage of people in this valley that think you and me are cray cray. You sing songs? And you believe he's listening? I remember my I was kind of in the seeker mode and, and my wife, I wasn't a believer, I was going to UCLA and I would come down to San Diego and I was dating my, my wife and became my wife and she'd bring me this small group of uh, Christian Bible study on Friday nights. I, I went in there and they would sing these worship songs. 
with a guitar. And they had, you know, like in the living rooms, they had the inner circle who really sing, and then it kind of goes out from there. Well, I was about as far back as you could get, like in the kitchen. And I'm just watching these people. And I'm like, this is nuts. It's Friday, bunch of college students. What are they doing in the house singing to Jesus and then praying? Like at the first time, you know, they knew I was kind of like trying to check out this Jesus thing, but at the end of the Bible study, they would, the, the ladies would go to another room to pray and the guys would get around the, the kitchen table. And I remember, I'm like, okay, sure, I'm game. You know, I'm like, we, the guys get around the kitchen table and I kid you not, here's what like all of them do. I'm like, we're holding hands? We gotta hold hands? This is weird, bro. We're holding hands and then like close your eyes, right? And you're like <laughs> And then what happens? It goes in a circle. They're taking turns and I'm discerning pretty quickly. I'm in the circle. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I hope you I hope you skip me. I hope you know I'm a rookie at this, so please, when he's done, just start. Because this is gonna get really weird. Because I don't talk to God like this. I go to a place where someone talks to God for me. Or I just have like memorized stuff. But I have this casual conversation to God. Freak me out. Right? And what's most hilarious is now I'm standing on this side of this pulpit. <laughs> preaching the word of God. I mean, I remember the first time my family came. We were, I think, at the Wesleyan Church. They, you know, started a church and... They all came. And then I hadn't told them that I play guitar and lead worship. We didn't sing songs like this in our house. And it was so funny. I'd come up to start service, I'd have a guitar in the band, and they're all like. <laughs> right? Crazy. Supernatural. And I, I share this with you just to affirm you that, that what God has done and is doing in your life is just as spectacular as the apostles. Just as spectacular. The difference it's made in your life and in making your marriage and your kids just as spectacular, just as supernatural. And so, if you're wondering why this gentleman was walking forward, <laughs> this is Matt Norris. And uh, I invited him to share his story of grace and his journey with Jesus. So, so Matt, why don't you come on up?
Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Here's that in Richie was saying, everybody here has a story. Um, I'd like to offer you mine. Uh, about seven years ago, uh, I began walking with the Lord, our God. But I first rejected God outright when I was about 16 years old. Uh, no, no way. There's not a loving God. That can't happen. That's, even though uh, I've been blessed in many ways growing up, uh, I had loving parents. I have loving parents. Uh, I have an awesome family. Uh, strong friends, health, education. Uh, I got to travel to far off places doing a dream job. Uh, I uh, worked to become a firefighter, uh, which was another dream of mine. Uh, all those things happened. Uh, but now I come to the hard part. Uh, you know, I was, I was comfortable in my, uh, my prideful pursuit of happiness. Chicago Fire, anybody? Have we all seen a picture of a firefighter in a 
clear like hero is just yeah. going. Um, you can see everything, correct? You can see it all. Okay, now I'm going to do a picture of what you really like. Close your eyes. That's it. That's what it looks like. That's starfighting. Um, you're, you've got all the stuff on. You've got um, a mask on that's that's like, you know when you're, everybody's been snorkeling or something, you've got your mask, your visions, you know, like that, and that smoke comes, you can't see anything. You've got gloves on, you've got heavy coat, you can't feel anything, you can't move well, you can't do a lot of stuff very well. It's like nothing that you're normally able to do. Um, and it's getting hot and smoky, obviously, because you can't see. So uh, you get just pushed down. The heat beats hitting you, you get pushed down, go down. And the only place, the only real place to see anything, to really um, have a view, is on the floor, maybe on your knees. You see what I'm saying now? So when you're doing that, you, like, you can't see anything, like I'm saying, you cannot see a thing. Picture your house walking in your front door. You know where everything is. I don't. You're going in, I'm, I'm, I'm stumbling over your couch. I'm, stum I'm stumbling into your, your countertops. I'm tripping over a kid's toy. Um, anything. You can't see a thing. Uh, so my point is, is that there's several things that, that brought me to my knees. Um, and these are just a few of them. There's, there's too many to talk about right now, but I'd just like to just give you three. I just kind of lost my place here. Um, uh, examples of strong Christian men when I was not, when I was so far from Christ. Uh, Dale, Mike, and Frank. Um, these men who lived in integrity, who were amazing examples, without, without ever saying the, the name Jesus, just knowing that, that that's what they believe, just knowing and watching them close, watching like a hawk, and seeing what they did, and seeing how they acted, just with integrity and with, with what they had to say and what they did. Um, just that amazing example was so attractive to me and drew me in to want to learn more. Like, I don't believe any of this, but man, they've got a good thing going. Um, so my wife um, I'm not trying to score points <laughs> I, I met I met my wife she has she had a daughter she's seven years old who I felt fell in love with both of them um, but we, we had we had a good marriage a fine marriage but we fought you know like any, any couples do and it was frustrating it was tough and tough for me to, you know, uh, work through some of that, anger, nothing crazy, but just not, you know, you know what I'm saying, it's <laughs> marriage, it's not easy, um, but um, all of a sudden, she she attended a couple classes, Christian-based parenting, she, she started attending a church in Ventura, where we were living at the time, and uh, she started changing. I mean, deep change. Um, she attended she regular church on Sunday. Uh, youth group, no, I'm sorry, not youth group, uh, con group. Um, 
several things. She was, I mean, diligent, like pursuing, great. And it was working out great for me, transactional. Sundays, she's gone, I surf. <laughs> Good deal. But kids, she's got the kids taking them to church on set. I got, I got a free day, I got a free morning, right? And then, I, again, combination, all these sorts of things going on, this is one thing. Um, she, I, I decided of my own, like, hey, I'll just start, I'm gonna try to be a good guy. I'll go over there, you know, and support her and her efforts to go to church. But I'm gonna sit in the back, and I'm gonna have my arms crossed. I'm not gonna believe any of it, because it's not true. Um, and then, <laughs> the pastor of that church, his daughter, um, got cancer. And uh, we say here, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. How's that look when your kid has cancer? He lived it in front, in front of everyone. And, and, and I was one of those people that he lived it in front of. Um, drew me closer. You know, just, uh, you know, I, was, I was, went from sitting in the back of church, arms crossed, falling asleep, to like very attentive. Looking at what's going on, um, so those those walls were tumbling down. I was getting, I was getting again using my analogy, I just get down, push down, push down to um, to the to the floor, um, and then I had my last, maybe one of my last lines of defense, right? Last last thing I can do to, to get up off the floor and not believe any of this stuff is uh, arguing. Um, I'm gonna like I'm gonna prove this wrong. I got this. I can do this. I I went to I went to school. I can figure this out. Like um, so, I started reading, talking to people. I'm, I was gonna prove it false. It can't faith can't stand up to reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> True examination, right? No. Uh, so I, I just read and read and read, read history books. I read uh, uh, apologetics. I even ended up reading the entire Bible. Um, and uh, I was desperate in my attempt to flee what was going on. down from the mountain 
great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper. A leper. Came to him and knelt before him. Saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer up the gift that Moses commanded for a to them. Thank you for listening to my story. Just drift, right? I shared that story with you of deep sea fishing. 
right? And we'd get out there and the captain would circle and he'd find the fish on the radar and he'd drop our lines and boom, 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 boom. Everyone's catching fish. And then 20 minutes later, no one's catching fish. And the captain says, oh, I'm sorry, we've drifted. <laughs> and I was so intent on my line and the next hit on my line that I didn't even know the boat had moved half a mile. I was so consumed with myself that I didn't realize I had drifted. And sometimes in our life, we start and we're here and then we get so consumed with us and what's right in front of us and the pressing things of, of the world that we're just drifting. We don't have time for church and we don't have time to read the scriptures and we don't even have time to pray because we're so consumed with what we're doing. And suddenly, hey, you drifted. Weeks have gone by since you've been to church. You don't even know where your Bible is anymore. It wasn't intentional. Right? If someone says, are you still a believer? Yeah. Do you still love God? Yeah. But you drifted. You drifted. And we're talking about, what are these, you know, how do we stay here? What, what do we need to be really honest about in our life? Well, 1 Peter 5 says this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So for the last four weeks, we've been looking at God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if we want to position ourselves to be receiving God's grace, because he says in that verse, he gives it, it's continual. That's the, that's the verb, it's continual, present tense. He's giving his grace to somebody, the humble. But when it says he opposes, he's resisting. It's a military term, meaning he lines up in battle array against some people. Who? The proud. So we've been looking at this issue. Humble. I'm positioned where I need to be. I'm receiving it. I'm drifting, maybe because of pride. Maybe because of pride. But not necessarily that proud as a peacock and you're walking around like this and you got an attitude. We're talking about pride that is really more subtle. Because at the center of pride is me. It's you, it's self. It's self. It's an elevated view of self, right? That's what we've seen uh, in our definition of pride. What is humility? Humility isn't beating yourself up and telling you how much of an idiot you are. That's not humility. Humility is a true assessment of yourself. Humility is, is the, the, the word picture is staying low and taking an honest look at who I am, who God is, just being honest. That's true biblical humility, right? Easier said than done, though. This humility piece. Right? Yesterday, it was about 18 of us, and we drove an hour east to Castaic Lake for what they call the Spartan Race. Right? And here's the, here's the crew, Team Ohio. And yesterday, we did a Spartan Race out of Castaic Lake, if you didn't know the recreation area. A little over four miles running up hills as steep as those mountains right there, <clears throat> doing monkey bars, throwing spears, climbing over seven foot walls, craziness. 
and humbling. Humbling. Because there's a big age demographic in that group. And I'm the old guy. <laughs> and Noah's the young guy. And everyone in between. And Eileen and everyone. And so they're like, hey, so how's this going to work? You guys going to stay together? I'm like, no way. And, and you realize it, and, and you start, and then there was this crazy run, like a mile and a half climb, that just kept climbing. <laughs> and that right away tests you. And we had trained, and we were, we were, we'd done a lot of training the last two months, but that climb just kept climbing. And the young, bum, the young guns are gone, and I'm back, and you know, I think I have to walk. <laughs> this is not good. Then <laughs> you start looking around. You're like, oh wait, they're walking too. <laughs> they're walking. And that battle, to be honest, where you are in this big picture, right? To say, no way, it's okay. Because right? in our pride, you go to these things and you think everyone's looking at you. And if you walk or you don't complete an obstacle, everyone's looking at you. The truth is no one cares about you. Because they're just trying to survive themselves, right? But isn't that like life? We get so caught up with ourselves, And we think everyone's looking at us, watching us, judging us. And quite honestly, no one cares about you. Because they're all consumed with themselves. Right? And so we saw that, that at, its, at its core, pride puts me at the center. I'm at the center, right? We saw, here's a, great, here's a great definition. Pride is a state of mind, or more essentially, a condition of the heart, in which a person has supplanted the rule of God over his life with the rule of his own will. Instead of depending entirely on God, as was God's design, a proud heart now looks to itself. To decide what is good and evil. This was exactly the folly of Adam and Eve when they determined to disobey God, to become like God. So pride isn't like, you know, me just walking around with some attitude and saying, really? No, pride is about me being in control. I'm, I'm, I got it. I'm calling the shots. I'm the shot caller. Right? At the heart, pride is about me at the center of my life. Everything revolves around me. I'm the big cheese. That's the essence of pride, itself at the center. And we looked at the last few weeks, how does this manifest itself? So if we're not walking around cocky and, you know, all that, how might pride be manifesting itself? Well, we saw in Isaiah that, that one way pride manifests itself is that I'm so concerned about what other people think about me or might say about me that I'm even willing to disobey God. I'm not willing to step out of my safe comfort zone and do something that God's calling me to do because really I'm just scared about what you're going to think about me, say about me. Right, we talked about this. Why are we so afraid to pray in public? Why are we so afraid to pray out loud in a Bible study? Why are we so afraid to even sing in church? Really? Let's just be honest. It's pride because we're afraid of what people are going to think about us. Right? So one way that pride manifests itself is fear of men. Fear of man that limits obedience. I'm going to go this far, God. That's it. Because they're going to make fun of me. Because I don't pray like so-and-so and I have a horrible voice. Da, 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 da. So fear of man. It's just pride. Fear of man is pride. Self-sufficiency. 
Psalm 10.4, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. I'm good. Then my Christianity is about crisis Christianity, and I'll just call God when I need you. But otherwise, I'm good. Right? Self-sufficiency. It's pride. Last week, we talked about self-righteousness in the sense of how does pride manifest itself? I'd rather be right than righteous. Right? In Timothy, we're called to be righteous, flee the evil desires of youth, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we spent all last Sunday talking about, are you more concerned about being right or righteous? Are you more concerned about following Jesus and displaying the love of God in and through you, or just being right, winning the argument? Right? And so we looked at that. Pretty in depth. Pride manifesting itself on the desire to be right more than the desire to be righteous. Right? And how if you are consumed with this desire to be right, it actually hardens your heart. It hardens your heart to God, hardens your heart to other people, because it's all about you, because you have to be right. You have to be right. You cannot be wrong. It's not an option in your worldview. Being wrong is not an option. So you're in, in pride, you want to be right and not righteous. Right? We talked about that. Today we're looking at a fourth way that, that we can kind of drift with pride, kind of check us, is what we call self-justification. Right? This, this, this propensity in our life to minimize responsibility and maximize excuses. Herbert Armstrong says this, the hardest thing for a human being to do is to admit he is, what? So just turn to the person next to you and smile. <laughs> you ever been in an argument with spouse? Father? How many of you have ever been in a situation, you know you're wrong, 100%, and you just deflect off and, and do something that, anything to admit, you know, to avoid having to admit you're wrong. Anyone? Right? Anyone? It's like death. Right? I'm wrong. I was wrong. Right? It's just, it just doesn't roll off. It doesn't roll off when, when I have to say I was wrong. It rolls off much easier to say you were wrong. It comes off so much easier, right? You're wrong. Ah, I, I was wrong. wrong, wrong. Mistake. Right? Right? There's a story of a, of, a, of a lady I came across. She shared that one of her best friends, a person who had permission to speak truth in her life, one day came to, take, came to her and kind of challenged her biblically, in love, appropriately and rightly, with uh, her movie choices. Her movie choices. And she goes on to write about her initial reaction to her friend coming to her to share her concerns appropriately, correctly, in love about her movie choices. And she shares how she just reared him. And suddenly, everything in her, instead of being willing to look at herself openly and honestly to receive <laughs> counsel and, and concern, everything in her flipped it and she just turned it all around on the messenger. 
she be so legalistic? How could she be so narrow? Who does she think she is? So rather than being willing to maybe admit her, her movie choices weren't appropriate, what do you do? What do I do? You just turn it around and we label and throw the messengers under the bus. Because if we can discredit the messenger, we discredit the message. Happens all the time. Rather than receiving it in our defensiveness and in our in our self-protectionism, we just right away we want to discredit the messenger. Label them. Call them legalistic. Call them hardcore. Call them whatever you want. As long as in your mind you can discredit the messenger. Eh. Now, to her credit, she continues writing and says, about a year later, God got a hold of her. And she actually had to confess to make it right to her. And admit that that is what she had done. Her heart was so hardened at the time that she couldn't be wrong. So she had to turn everything to the messenger. And, 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 and it's funny because I, I, 28 years of ministry, I can relate to that. 28 years of ministry, you come up here and you want to faithfully preach the word of God. Because you genuinely love people, genuinely think eternity hangs in the balance, genuinely believe that God is still alive and well and yet 28 years yeah uh, yeah that message hasn't been well received at times you know I, I, there's been times and seasons in this valley I know what people have said about me it's not been pleasant people leave this church it's not pleasant right and, and for a while I'm just really like oh lord you know it just it would just tank me you know it's like we're not out here to ruin anyone's life we just we believe God loves them and we love them and here's the message of hope and truth and love and yet I get it now, I get it so much more clearly that if something is said here from the word of God that you don't like, yeah you're just going to go throw me under the bus and throw this church under the bus and now we're legalistic and now we're hardcore and now we're this and now we're that it's so funny though because in my position here's the challenge literally here's the challenge I got people over here saying, oh, you guys are so, you're, you're narrow-minded, you're legalistic, you're hardcore, you're just, you're just, right, all this camp. And I kid you not, I kid you not. <laughs> you guys are so liberal. You guys just want to call sins in. Man, you guys should be ashamed. Same day, same call, same, same, same. I'm like, what do you do with that, right? What do you do with that? Because there's a certain point where, where I have to just release that and say, okay, Lord, I just gotta trust you. I, I can't let that take me like it used to, right? Because there's a lot going on in people's lives, in your heart, in my heart, that that what that rears up when you're challenged to be wrong. And to admit I'm wrong. Right? Does anyone here really enjoy being called out? Like busted. Like busted, busted with no excuse. Busted. I mean, ooh, let's just have a busted party, right? No. 
right? It doesn't work that way. I was in, was I, junior high or something, right? Back in the day when you walk girlfriends home from school, right? So after junior high, I walk my girlfriend home from school, hang out a bit, had this propensity to be late, to get home late. And I had the boundary, right? Because we didn't have cell phones back then. So no way for, you know, just be home when the sun comes down, right? And how many of you tend to push the limits? The sun coming down, there's still some daylight, right? So one day I knew I was gonna be late again. So on the run home, because I had to run home, it was like 20 minutes. On the run home, I'm getting the plan. I'm getting in the lie. All dialed in. Right? Get it all. Yeah, okay, think about this. Okay, so yeah, got it. Walk in. Mom and older sister like. Like, I know, but I was at I was at coach's house, my rec coach. I was I was at coach's house. Solid, right? Just luck. We went there. <laughs> Done. Right? Just done. Busted. Like, laid out. Right? It's tough. It's tough. And this is where I kind of like, you know, if we want to stay here. We're gonna have to face this. Is being willing to admit that that you're wrong. This this idea, this propensity to minimize my culpability, my responsibility, and maximize all my excuses, maximize all the reasons why I'm really not to blame. Right? Proverbs sixteen two says this: All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Proverbs twenty one two. A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Why is it so hard for me and for you to just come clean and accept that we were wrong, accept responsibility for our actions 100% with no excuse, no minimizing? Why is that so hard? And, and, and I, was doing, I was like, why is this so hard? And I came across something that I had never seen before. It has to do with self-preservation. Self-preservation. So here's, here's, here's how it works. We talk about story, right? A narrative. We all have a narrative about ourselves, A story about ourselves. Why is it so hard to accept responsibility for my actions? Because then I might have to admit that my story isn't So, admitting guilt, coming clean, touches my, my esteem, my identity, and here's the thing, the more committed I am to this narrative about myself, the harder it's going to be to allow myself to really admit and agree to something that might radically change the narrative and the story that I've been telling myself all these years. That's what Jesus was going with the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees weren't just religious leaders. They had a, they had a narrative in their, in their head about who they were. 
And along comes Jesus, and he's calling them out about their sin, and they're struggling with it because to admit their sin means to admit their story is wrong. It touches the narrative, the very core of their being. That's why it's hard for us to kind of admit wrong, to, to, to accept full culpability for our actions, because it touches the story, the narrative we've been telling ourselves about us. So I'm not willing to go there, because then I might have to really look at everything about me. Because it may actually not be biblically right. That's what was going on. I came across this article called Six Ways of Minimizing Sin. How do we do this then? What's our deflection? If we can't go there and we're not willing, how do we minimize sin in our life? One way is defensive. We become defensive. We become defensive. We start faking it. We just want to impress people. We hide in shame. We hide the stuff, the bad stuff, the real scares that we hide it from others. Fear of what they're going to think about us. We exaggerate the good, the bad. We just become very exaggerated. We want attention, so we exaggerate everything. We downplay. Nah, it's not. I'm not, I'm not as bad as it wasn't so bad. It was just. We downplay. We minimize it. Sixth way. We blame. We blame. So we, we defend, we fake, we hide, we exaggerate, we downplay, we blame. All to avoid. Oh, bust me. You got me. All to avoid going there. Because when we go there, we might about the story we've been believing about us. About us. You see this, remember in Genesis 3? The blame game? Adam, what'd you do? The woman. Eve, what'd you do? The serpent. Right? There's a story in Exodus 32. Moses had gone up on the mountain to meet with God, the people were hanging out, waiting for him to come back. He took a while. Remember that? He took a while. So the people decided to, right? Well, I guess we ought to do it ourselves. So the, the golden calf, you guys, remember, you guys are familiar with the golden calf story, right? Well, look at what this is. So Moses is up there. God says, hey, Moses, you got to head back down. People have gone cray cray. <laughs> so Moses comes down with the tablets. Exodus 32, 19. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf at the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. Finally, he turned to Aaron, okay, Aaron, who he had left in charge, and demanded, What did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Here's Aaron's reply. Don't get so upset, my lord. Aaron replied, you yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And I love this line. When they brought it to me, 
I simply threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> this is what Aaron tells Moses. Moses, Aaron is being confronted. Aaron, I left you in charge. What is going on? Here's the deal. You know how bad they are. They gave me the jewelry. I threw it in the fire. Golden calf. Go figure, Moses. Go figure. Right? The crazy thing is, if you read before this, in Exodus 32.4, it says this. Or 32.3. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. Busted, right? Full on busted. He's like, I don't know. Threw it in. Boop. Calf. Uh, then Aaron molded it into the shape of a calf. Verse 5, Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Far cry from, you know how bad they are. And whoop, whoop, microwave calf. Crazy, huh, Moses? I am crazy. They're crazy. I love that. Because uh, Aaron is just like you and me. Right? Somebody comes to you in love. Ah, mm, mm. Right? Circumstances. People. The challenge with this is it's never us. There's always someone to blame. Always some circumstances happen. try to make ourselves feel that we are sinners, we will never do it. There's only one way to know that we are sinners, and that is to have some dim, glimmering conception of God. See, it's when you see God for who He is that you finally go, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. Because until you're willing to look up, all you're going to do, the tendency, the temptation is just to compare yourself to everyone else in this room. And you're not as bad as everyone else in this room, in your opinion. And there's always a reason. There's always an escape hatch. There's always an escape hatch. Right? Someone 28 years ago who 
we were getting into it a little bit, he was asking questions, and I was kind of goofing and dodging him. And he finally said, you know what, man? You live in a world of rounded corners. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you never want to, you never want to come clean, man. There's always a rounded corner. You're always juking and jagging. There's always something on you. You can always explain it. You always got an excuse. You live in a world of rounded corners. You just can't own it, man. Why don't you just own it? Just sit in the corner and own your stuff. Quit, quit living on the round. Quit trying to justify it. Quit trying to finagle it. Quit, quit trying to put a little bit of a spin. Your spin. Isn't it funny how spins always work in our favor? Isn't that great? I love spins. Just enough. Just enough of a spin to take an edge off being 100% culpable. 100% responsible for my actions or my words or my thoughts, right? So you gotta go this way. You gotta go this way first and foremost. I love the story when King David, remember the story with him and Bathsheba? He was supposed to be out at war, but he stayed in the palace and he was out one night and he saw Bathsheba. He knew, he had found out that Bathsheba was married to Uriah. Didn't care, called for Bathsheba. They sleep together. Bathsheba says, I'm pregnant. King has a rope roll moment. What are we gonna do? Her husband is off fighting a war. Well, he decides to call her husband back to try to get to, the, have, to have some time with his wife to cover and create a scenario for her pregnancy. Her husband comes back is an honorable man, will not sleep with his wife while his buddies are out at the front lines, sleeps at the door. King's like, man, right? What does the king decide to do? He sends a messenger by her husband to the commander. Says, hey commander, tomorrow, when you guys attack the wall, have everyone pull back except Uriah. He has him murdered. He has him murdered. Right? So he has commits adultery, he has Bathsheba's pregnant, he covers it up, tries to scheme to cover it up, doesn't work, has Uriah murdered. Second Samuel eleven. After the period of mourning was over, Bathsheba gave birth to a son and she comes in and lives in the palace. King David's like, Whew. Close call. Close call. Second Samuel eleven ends with Bible says, but the Lord was displeased. God knew. But David had just like, whoa! <sighs> okay. Business as usual. Let's just get on with life. Let's just chalk that up to a, ooh, that was close moment. Right? But the Lord was displeased. The Lord knew. <laughs> so the Lord, about it maybe nine months to a year later, sends the prophet Nathan. Nathan basically there to confront King David and eventually says, you are the man, busted, busted. And here's what King David says. Then David confessed to Nathan, 2 Samuel 12, I have sinned against the Lord. <laughs> Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die under this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord by doing this, your child will die. I have sinned 
against them. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. This is Psalm. This is King David as part of this whole process. I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Here's the key verse. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified by your judge. What happened? King, King David, he didn't go, well, you know, it was, you know, she shouldn't have been out there. You know, it was really Uriah's fault. He didn't do any of that. He was busted and broken. And said, Lord, this is really between you. It's just between you. And that's kind of where we have to be. It's kind of where we need to, to stay. If we're going to stay here, you got to recognize that when God is working on your heart and your life about an issue, it's between you and Him first and foremost against you and you only. Right? The Bible says there's nothing hidden from his sight. There's nothing hidden from his sight. So when you try to justify and you try to make excuses and you try to, you know, blame shift and you're just fooling yourself. I'm just fooling myself. God sees it all. God knows the heart. God knows your, he knows everything about you. You're not fooling anyone but yourself. You might fool me. You might fool your friends. You might fool your parents. You're not fooling God. And when you come to that place, you're just like, ah, ah, right? Luke 18, close with this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. <laughs> Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God! I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. <clears throat> Are you at that place where you just go, Ah, Lord, have mercy. <sighs> yeah, I'm at a place where I'm going to own my stuff. If you're there, if you're there, you're going to find his grace. That's where you find the grace. There's a, uh, there's a passage that I found in all my readings, and it's called the confirmation bias. And the confirmation bias really says, you know what, when I'm in self-justifying mode, I tend to look for things that just confirm my bias. Right? 
If I'm working out and I want to really have a cheat day and eat whatever I want, well, then I'm gonna go find articles that tend to say the benefits of a cheat day. Right? We all kind of tend to have this confirmation bias where we're not really willing to maybe look completely objectively at ourselves. So we're just gonna pick and choose things that support our position. <coughs> In Christendom, it's called proof texting. Because by golly, we can make this say pretty much anything we want. If you're skilled enough, we can get this to support any position on either side of the aisle. Happens all the time. It's confirmation bias. What I love is that that tax collector said, Lord, just have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Listen, I'm open to receiving whatever you have to say. Because it's just me. If we'll stay there, we'll stay here. If we start trying to justify and excuse and point fingers and blame and defend and exaggerate and hide and excuse, we're just going to drift. And we're going to pretend like it's all good. Choice is yours. Here. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, thank you. For your grace. For your grace. Lord, none of us in this room are comfortable with being called out, are comfortable even admitting we're wrong, let alone the Lord having our very narrative, the very story that we've told ourselves over and over and over potentially be wrong in light of Scripture. And yet my prayer for us today is that we would genuinely put aside our confirmation biases and let the Word of God speak. And that we would be open and honest and be willing to stop justifying ourselves. And maybe like King David, this is a moment where you're saying, you are the man, you are the woman. I know it all, I've seen it all. You think you're playing games, you think it's business as usual. I've seen everything you've done. I've heard everything you've done. I was there last night. You can fool everybody, but you can't fool God. But that's where you are. Receive his grace this morning. Just receive his grace. Confess. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Just come clean before God. Receive his grace, his forgiveness. every Sunday Jesus says do it in remembrance of him there's bread and there's juice and, and it's really symbolic of his shed blood and broken body and I remember as I was in that secret mode and I would have friends share with me the gospel and they would share this verse all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God Romans 3.23 I didn't like that verse because it challenged my narrative 
because I was a good moral guy. I was successful in college on my way to law school. I wasn't a sinner. I didn't need a savior for sure. And yet, the more I pondered that biblical truth, my story changed. My narrative changed. And at a certain point, I understood I was a sinner in need of a savior. And when I received that, God began to change the narrative to match his narrative. Amen? See, that's what this is. You let God in and he brings your story to match what he's already revealed in his story. But to do that, you got to stay humble. You got to be willing to accept when you've wandered off the path, when you've become rebellious and hard-hearted. And if you'll stay here, what he's really doing is saying, let me, let me bring your story in line with my story. It starts at the cross. It starts at the cross. So, if you're a believer, I want to encourage you to come on up and, and this morning take communion. It really is a celebration of His grace. A celebration of His grace and forgiveness. If you've not put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Right? You just receive it's a gift. Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. By faith in Jesus. I may not understand it all, but by faith I'm trusting what the Bible says about who you are and what you've done for me. So I rest in your story. I receive your salvation. Before we take communion, Ivan, can you find Psalm 32? Maybe we can put that in. Is that Psalm 32, 1 through 5. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Amen? Amen. Eat and drink and remember.